Hi, welcome to Content Kettle. This podcast is all about marketing, where we'll be speaking with CEOs and founders of brands across the globe and marketers who rolled up their sleeves to get their businesses out there and turn them into a success. With each having taken a different path to grow their business, they have what we call actual actionables on marketing and they're spilling the tea with us, or maybe even having one. I'm Manishika, the founder of Contensify, a content marketing agency that works with startups to help them establish their presence online. I'll be hosting this podcast with my team to bring you only real marketing tips from those who've done it all. Feel free to reach out to us at any given time if you have more questions or would like to learn more about a specific tactic. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey, JD, welcome to Con and Kettle. I am really excited to discuss your story with our listeners today. Thank you so much. Thanks for actually having us. Um, uh, to be honest, when I think your team reached out, I didn't think that we were worthy of the opportunity. I don't know if you've done too many good things yet. Uh, and I hope we will do justice to some of your other guests who actually, you know, have done some really amazing things. So actually, thanks for having us. Thanks for the opportunity. In fact, I think it's our first. I, I mean, I'm glad that it's your first because uh, we were super impressed by the website and by your social presence. So, well, to our listeners out there, GD is the founder of VS Money, a direct-to-consumer food and beverage brand that is based out of Bangalore. Their goal is to put a little bit of their home into yours. So, GD, would you like to tell us a little about your brand? Yeah, I think I'll, uh, I'll give you a little bit of an insight as to what I do. I do have a day job and uh, I'm a vice president at Densu Web Chutney, one of India's leading digital agencies. And, uh, um, you know, this venture into direct-to-consumer really was something that I was toying with for at least the last two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what made me think that the pandemic was a great year to do it, but I did. Uh, you know, I think my, my, my rationale was very simple. If this doesn't work in a, you know, in a difficult market, it's never going to work. So let me take the plunge now. At least the experiment will sort of, you know, give me the right kind of direction as to whether we have to do this at all and whether we have to scale this at all. But I think, um, you know, I spent most of my life in advertising the last eight years or so, and I have worked with a couple of FCCG brands at the beginning of my career. So I I really wanted to kind of use all of this so-called knowledge and expertise that I've uh, developed over the last couple of years into something that I can call my own and um, into something that I really wanted to, you know, give birth to in that sense. So, um, I mean, you know, we've done this for brands like um, uh, whether it's a Swiggy or an Uber or a Flipkart, and we've really taken them from, you know, uh, when they were at, you know, a couple of years, a couple of months into inception and to bringing them uh, where they are right now. Um, and even, you know, traditional brands like a Britannia or the Murugappa Group, where we tried to kind of, you know, um, help them with their digital transformation, so to say. So I really said, you know, this is high time that I do something for myself. Uh, I was closely, of course, you know, watching the, the DTC space. And, uh, you know, brands like Brandless, for instance, have been a great inspiration, although, you know, they've fumbled along the way and they have their own set of challenges. But that's really, um, I think, in, in my view, how FMCG will be redefined. And I think that's where most brands are today. Um, I think there is tremendous potential in what we can do. Uh, so what we are really trying to do is to see if we can have a you know a digital FMCG model in play, and that's really what I'm trying to do. Out of curiosity, what made you go from your full-time job as an agency owner to uh, starting VS Money? I mean, that's a love for coffee or love for what exactly? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I still have my, <laughs> I still work at the Chaddi and it, it, it's sort of, a, I, I sort of jokingly say that they are my primary investors because without that, I wouldn't be able to do this. Uh, but, you know, it is, I think, a couple of things. One, of course, my own passion for food and uh, uh, the second thing that is something that I think Web Chaddi kind of nurtured, right, which is the uh, the power of storytelling, really. Uh, and three, of course, there is the technicalities of how you run uh, a successful business. And I think it was just me trying to say, let's put these three th- uh, three things together and uh, see how we can do it right. Because when you're in, a, in an agency, you only see certain aspects of what a brand goes through. And, uh, you know, obviously by way of conversations and by way of, you know, the, the extent to which that you can sink into uh, the brand environment, you really come to know of the many aspects and the many facets that goes behind it, right? Like, uh, I mean, even in the agency, you have 
you will have people and if in fact it's 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 often an agency person's frustration that hey your idea didn't go through but your idea not going through is not because the idea wasn't great but perhaps there are thousand other factors behind it could be the market it could be the consumer it could just be the the business or business owner psyche and so many things are coming into play so i think i and um, um, you know one of the other things that webchat really allowed me to do and allows me to do is to uh, look after the business aspects of the the running of the agency as well so that's something that i'm more passionate about i guess now in in this stage of uh, my my career which is to really look at everything as if i were the owner of that unit so you know is this unit profitable do we have the right number of people do we have the right output do we have the right quality and therefore i think it was that itch to say listen let's just do this for something that we are passionate about as well and uh, i'm not really someone who subscribes to the opinion that you know you either have a day job or you have uh, you know you run your passion project or whatever i think both can coexist uh is it difficult of course it is uh but you know i think that's that's where i'm at i think business uh, money may become full time when i know that you know we are big enough and we are enough to sort of give the right kind of opportunities to people and also you know make money in the process uh but until then of course i see uh, myself doing whatever i'm doing right now um that said that's i think the background to why and how uh and i think we also had a nice story with you know of course the house that i grew up in and uh, you know and i i grew up with my grandparents for uh, for the initial part of my uh, my life and uh, the home we lived in you know was really one where all the the cousins and the you know the uncles and the aunts would really keep visiting from time to time and therefore the kitchen was you know this this melting pot of a lot of things so there 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 are a lot of uniques to what we did so you know i really felt that here is an opportunity for us to tell this story and you know can we therefore put a little bit of our home in yours and that's really how how it all started for us i guess and that's therefore the you know the core that we sort of live by it's it's, it's almost like an idea that stemmed out of your own kitchen it did <laughs> and our home yeah <laughs> i keep saying home simply because you know i'd like to leave room for a possible product expansion in the future uh, not to really limit ourselves to the kitchen but yeah it's primarily the kitchen i suppose that's nice so i personally i'm a big uh, fan of snacking through the day one uh, if you see the number of cups of coffee that i have in a day to keep going <laughs> crazy uh but then again there are like so many brands out there in this space right and uh, i've kind of lost count of some of the brands that i in fact tried when let's say the pandemic began i think that's when all the healthy snacking came into being and everybody started to reach out to these brands and try them out i remember a few uh that i subscribed to like for 3 months and then after 3 months i actually forgot what i bought from them because it's like i'm exposed to so many brands so many ideas so many snacks and ads about them that it's, it just goes above me so when it comes to uh yes money how are you making it different from what's there in the market i mean what's your vision to or vision and mission you know that you're kind of keeping in the background to make it stand out in this crowded space see i tell you what i think uh, and and part uh, of i sound cocky with this but uh, i don't think we compete with any of these guys i tell you why i think they are all masters at the product and uh, they have a unique uh, a formula or uh, you know it's it's just in the way they have done this or put it together i think they really have something unique and therefore that become the story right for us i don't think we will ever speak product first because i think our ip is in the story and uh, it's the story of the home that we want our audience to sort of subscribe to we do have a great product but i think especially in an age where most of the uh, uh, you know most of the messaging is sort of online and you really don't get to touch and feel something or even sample something like you would in a store i think we have the responsibility to make our audience first subscribe to the story fall in love with the story connect with the story emotionally get attached to the story and then for us the product comes yes do we have a great cup of coffee we do will we have great snacks yes in the next few weeks will we have great spices yes again in the next few weeks but i think if you buy from us you buy from us because you like the sound of what you're hearing or what you're seeing and uh, uh, and therefore i say perhaps we don't compete with a lot of these guys also 
we definitely do want to sort of expand horizontally. We are not a coffee growing family. We are not a business family. We are none of those things. Um, in fact, all of our production is done uh, via, via sort of strategic partnerships. And, you know, we have our own set of documents in play. And therefore, uh, a lot of manufacturers actually thanks to them for supporting us for having uh, been able to do this. But I think we'd like to have a portfolio that's coffee, that's snacks, that's perhaps cookies, that's perhaps jams, that's perhaps, uh, you know, um, uh, spices, like I said. I'd also like to, you know, uh, with the start of the brass Damra tumbler that we have, I think we also have room for us to, you know, venture into cookware, for instance, and things like that. So if something had a place in our home, I think that has a place in our product portfolio. And therefore, it wouldn't sound outlandish if in a couple of years I came up to you and said, hey, now we introduce soap. That's because you know us for the story and for what's in our home. And therefore, I think you want to try it out. So that's, I think, why, or, you know, like I said, again, at the, at the risk of being cocky, that, I think that is what differentiates us, I suppose. So it's more about uh, me as a consumer associating or relating to your brand and feeling like, hey, okay, yeah, yeah. I need at home. Instead of you selling a concept to me which says, hey, this is healthy, please have this, which is typically yeah. the approach that most brands, I think, take in today's day. Yeah. Yep. In fact, in fact, the line that we just sort of, uh, you know, as of two nights ago, the line that we finally froze on, which you will start seeing on the website and perhaps on social is with love from our home to yours. That's really what it is all about for us. That's actually nice. So about the brass tumbler, since you mentioned it, uh, so I remember when my teammates sent, my, sent your, you know, Instagram profile to me and that piqued my interest. Again, one, I'm a big fan of South Indian food. Two, I've only seen the tumbler in restaurants. <laughs> I've not seen it as such at home. So to, for me to say that, okay, this I can bring home, you know, it's a big thing. So it's, it, it was a very unique concept. I mean, you're bringing that story, you're tying that story to the elements that people know it for. Um, so has that really helped you, you know, capture that market, capture that interest? Oh, yeah. To be honest, sometimes I wonder if we sell the brass double tumbler or if we sell our coffee because it sells way more. And as a combo, it seems to really fly off the shelf. But, uh, you know, I don't know if there was so much thought process into how we brought that, you know, into our portfolio. Was it in our home? Is it in my home right now? It has a place there. Therefore, we said we'd do it. And um, I guess we also timed it. Uh, it was Diwali and we said, you know, let's put together a, a gift box per, perhaps. And, uh, you know, the only real thing that we had was the coffee. So we said, okay, let's just put two packs of coffee and give it to them with a brass or a tumbler. It might just be a nice experience. That was really the birth of, or rather I'd say the rebirth of the brand uh, because A, our numbers really, you know, multiplied. Uh, our average order values were up, our CACs were low. Um, and, you know, people really started seeing this as a route to trying our coffee because I think the brass Dora tumbler also enables us to tell a nice story in the process. Um, so we really took a, uh, you know, it was meant to be just um, a Diwali gifting sort of thing, but it continues to sort of remain so much so that the combos really work well for us. Um, and as of last night, we are now live on Amazon. And um, I made the mistake because, you know, Six months ago, when we started listing ourselves for Amazon, we said we only have coffee. But today, it, I definitely need to include the brass Devara tumbler there. So that's, that's I think, really the, the backstory to how we got here on, on that one. Just continuing on this a little bit. So there is this whole word around culture marketing now. I mean, if, uh, if you've been keeping a tab, uh, everybody's talking of how culture sells better because it you know, it's something that people can associate themselves with. It's something that even if it's like not your own, it's somebody else's. But at the same time, to experience a culture becomes a huge thing. Uh, so would yeah. you say that culture marketing has now by default, because you planned that gift pack, you know, uh, has become a part of your brand mm. strategy? See, I'll tell you, what's a bit of a... Um, it's it's a it's a heavy word to use, and I'll I'll I sort of sort of say that respectfully only because uh, we can get into a territory where we start you know advocating a certain type of culture or you know thrusting ours upon yours. We really don't think we want to be there, and I don't think uh, uh, that's that's you know I don't even think that subscribes to the way our family would be right. So I don't know if I want to say that simply because. 
it can get into a difficult territory, which is something that we don't want to be in. I, I, I mean, I'd still say, very, very simple version is, we are just trying to give you the story of what happened at our home. It's perhaps going to resonate with you because you might have had a version of it um, or a version of that, or maybe you know people who, uh, uh, who sort of have a similar background and things like that. So I think I would just leave it at that only because uh, culture is a bit of, uh, um, uh, you know, it is, it, it's not black and white. And, uh, and I think as a brand, we need to be sort of responsible to, uh, you know, cater to every kind of community, every kind of culture, respect every kind of background. So I don't know if I want to do that. I, I know there is, you know, an unfortunate story with uh, 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 Tavra Tumblers itself. But, you know, again, it is it has become such a common and utilitarian product today uh, that I wouldn't really want to go anywhere near any of that and sort of risk, uh, risk what we have. So I, I'd still say I'd stick to the storytelling of who we are and why is it here? It's because, you know, we've used it. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but it, it is a bit of a difficult spot. No, no, it totally does because uh, so there is this entire debate around you know culture marketing and around, around specifically D two C brands because they want their brand to feel local, and then at the same mm. time they don't want to feel too local because then you're just you know kind of narrowing down your audience and just as you, no. said, it's not really black and white, so people might take offense to it. Uh, they were like so mm. many. Campaign. But this was something I was reading up recently, so I thought I would ask. Yeah, no, I mean, it's very important to have a story, to stick to the story, and therefore, I guess that defines your values. I think a little bit of your own values come into play. And I think all of that is fine, as long as we are not getting into any kind of an alienating culture and things like that, right? And I think as, as far as that doesn't happen, I think we're good. So, yes, definitely. I think, uh, in fact, I, I, I do believe that the success for most ADC brands, in fact, I think the, the ones focusing heavily on product may not survive uh, uh, as, as much as, you know, the ones that do have a story and, you know, have something that you can align yourself with. So, yes, to story, uh, not so sure about uh, how, uh, because, you know, how they define culture is going to be very different. Mm, interesting. Okay. So, uh, you know, as a brand, like you said, you started with something and then the idea just came to you about the Tumblr bit. Uh, similarly, there are other brands like Blue Tokai, etc. that eventually went into merchandising as well. So there are t-shirts, there's notebooks, there are mugs, etc. that are out there. And they're pouring like tons of money into their marketing and advertising campaigns, along with their branding campaigns, which are promoting their merchandise more than the coffee, I feel sometimes. Right. Um, how has that affected your growth strategy or something that, you know, you had planned for VS Money? So I think uh, uh, we, we've been, I think, uh, generally keeping a close eye on our data and uh, trying to see sort of on a weekly basis, at least, how our average cart values are improving and how much a difference does any product addition or a bundling make um, a difference to our numbers. So I think everything that we did was, um, you know, a bunch of experiments that are now sort of uh, calculated decisions on how to bundle and how to sort of upsell and things like that. Um, I think when you have a primary product and you have a focused product, everything that you put around it become merchandising. Uh, but in our case, like I said, we have, um, our, our, we have our home and our story to tell under, uh, you know, uh, merchandising for us. Uh, will we still be recognized as a coffee player? Maybe. Uh, but I don't know, maybe in a few months, once the rest of the range comes in slowly, one by one with the snacks and things like that, I would like people for us to, uh, uh, for people to see us as, you know, um, a brand with a great repertoire, good a portfolio of products, right? Uh, so merchandising, I think for us, may not sit in the same definition of what it does for some of these other brands. But will we invest equally in promoting some of these products? I think we will give everything the same level of importance because we, till now we had a flagship and, you know, all of our monies have been going on the signatures in coffee and the brass Devra Tumblr was just nicely incorporated into the, uh, you know, uh, the, the advertising that we did. But in a few months, if we do, let's say, have some sort of cookware, then we might invest the same kind of energies and uh, monies into promoting that specifically because it's still coming from our home. So I think that's the, uh, that's the sort of angle with which we will approach all of this. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Okay, so 
kind of, you know, going back to how I discovered Vyas Pane, your Instagram feed. And uh, when we saw it, it was at about, I think, 200 odd followers. And then it suddenly shot up to a good, I think, what's the number now? It's uh, it's in thousands. Well, right? 2,500, 2,700 something. And, and, and let me tell you something. Yeah. Now, so the thing is, I think we do a terrible job on social media. I don't think we've had any kind of structured approach to what we say there or what we do there. Uh, much of the, you know, the uh, the Instagram growth that you're talking about has been a byproduct of some of our performance advertising. Um, so it would be a lie to say that we had, you know, some sort of strategy in mind and content and things like that. It's all bullshit. We haven't done anything, to be honest. In fact, some of the reels and things like that that you see are, you know, uh, very sad experiments, failed experiments on what we've done. Um, uh, that's, I think, of um, uh, that's my fault. I am still, you know, I think only a couple of months back was when I really refined the story in my head. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I now clearly know what is it that we're all about? What is it that we're trying to say? And therefore, now in the next month or so, perhaps, uh, we might have something a lot more structured, something a lot more planned and thought through. Uh, because I see our Instagram as um, a great potential for not just the storytelling, but also for social commerce. And I think all the stories of what a family uh, um, uh, sort of engages in, right? Whether it's cooking, whether it's finances, whether it's how to deal with relationships, whether it's about, uh, you know, uh, investing or whatever it is, right? I think all of these have a beautiful place on our social because that's what we're all about. Anyone who sort of interacts with us needs to feel like they're talking to a family. And when you actually went, if you sort of had to come to our home, have a cup of coffee and talk to us, what would we talk about? I think that has a great place on our social. And therefore, that's my sort of vision for what we are going to do in, uh, in the next couple of weeks. But whatever we've done now... <laughs> Has, has sort of zero planning or zero uh, effort. Um, uh, I'm quite ashamed of it. I hope we will be able to sort of correct it in the next couple of weeks. I like the honesty, but your feed isn't that bad. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> yeah. so let, let's just say it can be better. <laughs> okay, so since you mentioned that, you know, the growth so far has is owed to performance marketing, a lot of stores, a lot of brands out there are right now, you know, running these promotional ads. Sometimes it's just to convey a story. Sometimes it's to lead to a sales page, a discount page, or a subscription. Uh, at the same time, I think there was a study which said that there are about 5,000 odd ads that we're seeing on average every single day. That's way too much. So what are you doing so differently in your campaigns that has helped you grow? I mean, uh, of course, you've mentioned that you use storytelling. So are you using the same strategy there as well? So we did make a couple of mistakes in the beginning uh, because I think we were trying too many experiments. And then uh, we kind of threw everything out the window and said, you know, let's just keep this as simple as we can. And the first thing that we did was we corrected our creative. We didn't want a customer to see, okay, customer, I think is the wrong word. We didn't want anyone scrolling social media to see a piece of creative from us and think that it was an ad. Therefore, our ads don't say, whatever, buy now or click here and things like that. Uh, even if it comes up um, as a reel, if you were scrolling or if, you know, if it was part of the stories that you were sort of scrolling or if it's part of the feed, we just wanted it to seem like a piece of content. Now, the reason that you will watch it is because you thought there was something interesting there. And, you know, of course, Instagram does the shop now button and things like that. And therefore, that is the only real route to sort of driving traffic. And that's what we've been doing. We've not really consciously ever said, buy now, try now. Uh, and we've never done any kind of uh, discounting campaign where we said, you know, introductory offer and things like that. We try and say as little as possible because I believe that nobody reads. And the second part, I don't want any of our messaging to have anything that looks like an ad. So therefore, even the videos that we've shot are almost just the coffee being experienced at home uh, or it, the process of making it and things like that. So we've just left it like a piece of content that some regular person would have put out, right? And that's, I think, the first uh, step that we took. Um, the second step that we took really was we were overcomplicating 
um, audience definition and, uh, you know, sub-segmenting and things like that. And uh, we kind of said, let's just keep this simple. Uh, uh, Let's just put the ad out there. Uh, let's just define who we think our primary audience is. And we also had some data for uh, the kind of people who are visiting our website and converting. We just did a couple of lookalikes and that's really how it started so much. So that I think compared to, we are actually turning a year in uh, June 29th. But much of our um, uh, paid performance uh, efforts really started, I'd say, somewhere around November or December, same time as when the Diwali uh, uh, gift hamper happened. Mm-hmm. Compared to that time period and now, I think end of May, um, I'd say we're about our spends on digital advertising have increased about 15x. Uh, our CACs have reduced by 50%. Uh, we have a 2x improvement in ROAs. And uh, our revenue is 20x of what it was compared to that time period. So I think until now, we have done certain things right and we've come this far. But I think we now need another refresh uh, uh, because we now see people coming back to the store. So we're investing our energies on WhatsApp now to drive people to sort of come back to us because we have a responsibility here to not just acquire, but keep them coming back. I'm not a very big fan of uh, email marketing thanks to its ridiculous open rates. But uh, on WhatsApp, we see close to 60-70% open rates. And our conversions are easily in the region of 25%. So we have this constant engine that we've now started where we deploy messaging to every customer who's bought from us. So every three and a half weeks, there is a reminder. Um, You know, we have our own set of uh, customers who are high value for us. And then we keep upselling them with, uh, you know, combos and getting them to subscribe and things like that. We even experimented with subscription. We didn't like the way it works. So we're kind of tweaking that again. Um, So... I don't know if we can constantly rely on Facebook and Instagram to sort of keep churning customers because I think it's a great acquisition channel. Uh, But, you know, we have a responsibility to properly sort of streamline and solidify our remarketing engine. So we're doing that right now. Mm -hmm. So it's in a way using a multi-channel sort of an approach and at the same time, you know, kind of building an audience based on a connection. I have a couple of follow-up questions on whatever you said. Uh, I'm going to ask them batch-wise. One being, uh, you mentioned that when you use creatives, you try and not make it look like an ad and you try and get your brand story across in the creative, whether it's a video, whether it's a static image, anything. It needs to look authentic. Uh, Quick question to you. That's because there was a previous session that we had with a branding expert and she, you know, actually came on to say that, uh, branding does impact your marketing massively and, you know, how people really perceive your brand and how people, whether or not they decide to, you know, connect with you in the coming uh, few months, it it's completely dependent on your branding. So what's your take on it? Does branding really help with marketing? I mean, what have you seen? See, I don't know what the difference is anymore <laughs> um, uh, because I think uh, uh, it's, it's let, let's just look at it this way. I don't think the customer who's scrolling on, Uh, whatever platform is looking at your creative and thinking, hey, he's selling to me or hey, he's just talking to me. For him, it's just a message. So I don't know why we really need to compartmentalize some of these things. Although I guess in the scheme of, you know, uh, top funnel and bottom funnel and all of that, it might sort of make a difference. But at the end of the day, I don't think the customer is really caring a damn about any of these things. So if you put out a message that can emotionally connect with this person, I think the rest of the process becomes easier, right? Getting him to convert at that stage or getting him to sort of convert in a couple of remarketing attempts will still make sense because, hey, he's already kind of, you know, uh, seen your story and he thinks there's something there. So I think the lines are blurred and it's not like smaller brands have the, you know, the the sort of wherewithal and the and the budgets to sort of say, hey, here's going to be my massive branding experiment or this branding exercise uh, where I will just get customers to know who I am. I don't know if that model works anymore. Um, in fact, when I kind of think about this in retrospect, I don't know if this model really existed. Uh, think about it like, you know, the times when you would see an ad on TV and uh, you would see a print ad or a coding. Did you really think that, you know, is this a branding piece or is this a, um, you know, are they trying to sell something to me? At the end of the day, it is a message, a message from a brand. That's it. 
um what that message is is really what defines whether it works um and how sort of compelling that story is so i think that is um uh, what we're trying to do I, simply because i think we have a story at our core and that is what we are peddling constantly um i guess anything that we put out is marketing is branding is whatever it is um i am not a fan of complicating it so much you know that's actually pretty simple to do uh, that's something that we've been following ourselves on the agency front wherein uh, you know we try to keep it as simple as it goes because yeah. honestly uh, getting into every exercise is like a task by itself and then you get overwhelmed with so much information around your brand your audience that you tend to screw things up and that's precisely what you don't want to do when you are a startup so you know you want to keep things dead simple there yeah so yeah Okay, my second question uh, from what you had answered before. You said that you've been experimenting with performance marketing a lot. Now, in the D2C space, like we've seen a lot of brands, big and small, uh, some even mid-size, of course, uh, go online in the last year. Now, when they went online, there's obviously the cost of going online, which gets added to their business operations, right? And then somebody to manage it, design it, depending on how uh, you know diverse they want their store to really look. Uh, but then again, when you talk to them about marketing strategies. a lot of them are skeptical about investing in paid advertising because obviously they feel that it's a huge drain considering it's facebook instagram uh then there's twitter also now for certain brands uh then there's pinterest and of course there are the search ads and the one thing that i often hear from them is what if i lose money right uh they're very scared of that aspect that hey we've just started out maybe we should use more of organic tactics but on the other hand organic takes a little too long to settle in i mean you're going to take ages to reach your audience so you're going to need that paid push definitely uh what's your take on it uh what would you say to such brand owners and marketers who are hesitant about experimenting with paid campaigns see i i um i think there are <clears throat> sort of two buckets to sort of look at this in one is um, perhaps let me give you the example of um, itc store for instance these guys also launched last year and uh, they have the unique advantage of being in this country for donkey's years everybody knows them as a brand everybody knows each of their brands ashirwad and febel and whatever else and all they had to do was unfortunately finally it took a pandemic for them to get online right so in an in in a sort of uh, uh, in an environment like this i guess it perhaps becomes difficult for um, you know for them to adapt to this new uh, new way of doing it and uh, i guess to their credit they i don't know how much money they spend on uh, you know on paid uh, paid activities but they have the unique advantage of being so well known uh, thanks to all the you know the messaging and the marketing that they spent in all the and, and of course the visibility that they have um i was just you know doing some sort of comparison uh, you know on sem rush just to see what kind of traffic they get i think their april traffic was about 2 lakh people now we don't know how true this number is right and even at you know let's say 1000 rupee 1000 uh, or 1500 rupee average cart value i'm taking the same kind of conversion that we have 2 lakh customers are uh, sort of visiting this website and uh, that is a sizable monthly chunk to um, sort of get from an online portal that's just launched you know uh, barring the fact that they are such a big brand right but i guess that that is one side of the story i guess the second aspect of the story is who the hell is walking into stores anymore um uh, there is a reason why so many brands have suddenly sprung up and it's because uh people realize that everyone's going to sit at home uh no one's really going to venture out i, I mean uh, unfortunately there are a lot of people who um who have to and who have you know unfortunately no other means to do it and therefore they have to step out but i don't think a sizable amount of the population is actually stepping out they're all doing everything on their apps and there's any any anything that comes to their doorstep is what they want this has it, it's it's been a bit of a a shake up i would say uh, but it's clearly where the the industry is headed so i think we have an even bigger responsibility to put our message out there because you're not just competing with another smaller coffee player 
but I'm probably competing with IDC's muscle. Now, does this come in the way of our storytelling? I don't think the answer is a yes because, you know, they are selling something else and I'm selling something else. I'm selling to you the concept of who we are. They're selling to you a product. Now, of course, there is a force of habit and you use that for so many years and therefore you trust that brand a lot more. But we also have an equally, uh, you know, experimentative population, right? Who, who was trying new things. And there is also a reason why we don't really spend or invest too much time in so-called R&D and things like that because we are also a population that gets bored with things very easily. Three months or six months into our launch, we had people asking us if we have a different version of coffee because people are like, okay, I've tried this, now give me something else. And this is going to keep continuing. So the so-called model of the flagship, I think, will also evolve. There's a reason why, you know, the same iPhone keeps coming to you every year in a slightly different form, right? Because, you know, same damn thing. But you just need a little bit of a pop and a refresh for you to feel like, you know, there's something new about this. And I think that is what's happening everywhere. So without the paid effort, I don't know if you're able to go into, if you're going to be able to sort of get the message out there. Uh, but that said, supplemented by a very strong organic um, um, sort of content strategy, it's going to get us to another place altogether. I'm forgetting the name of the the sisters duo who uh, put out dancing videos in their saris and their sari business like really uh, boomed. I think this was something that I read in uh, um, The Better India, if I'm not wrong. But that is an example of how, I guess, now, I don't, of course, I don't know what they do from a performance in, a, in an inorganic standpoint, but that's a great example of how organic can really support your business, right? And this is what's going to get your repeat repeat audience as well. So I think they really need to go hand in hand and uh, there's no way you're going to escape this. And having said that, let me also say that it's a bit of a hamster wheel. Once you're in, you're in. Uh, you know, Facebook's going to force you to keep spending that money. Um, and therefore, the you know, the remarketing channel becomes even more important. And uh, we're not also um, scared of Amazon. Uh, I'd rather leverage the platform for the, you know, this this huge base that they have of shoppers and uh, try to use that as another channel and another uh, platform for us. Um, and therefore, in the light of all of this, as a brand and as a strategy, offline has not really made sense to me. I mean, we do have you know, a couple of distributors reaching out to us. But, you know, the sales numbers are a decimal uh, point away from what we have, you know, with uh, with our numbers. So it's clearly signaling a shift. And I think it's time we embrace it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So you would say that... So paid and organic essentially needs to go hand in hand because you have to yep. help there. <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned a couple of giants in the industry, right? It's like ITC for that matter. Uh, now, I'm going to ask this question to you because this was brought up by a couple of merchants, a uh, couple of brand owners, or people who just wanted to start their business, you know, based on what really fuels them. They had this question that, does my brand you know, uh, have to look up to all the giants to get inspiration, like be it in terms of how they have branded, be it in terms of how they market, or be it, let's say, in terms of the product catalog that they have. Uh, Do you feel that when you're starting out in this industry, particularly, maybe let's just keep it very narrowed down to this one, do you have to constantly keep looking at competitors or how intimidated or inspired do you need to be by what you see around you? I, again, I I guess at the risk of sounding cocky, I don't bother too much about uh, what the other brands are doing out there simply because I don't know if anybody is doing the same formula that I am in the same circumstances that I am, right? I am in. Uh, But that said, yes, these are giants who have perfected a certain way of doing it. Um, You know, they have a product formula that really works. They have a distribution strategy that really works. Uh, they are a giant um, and therefore, you know, they can just like crush you in no, in no time. My Our eyes rather on competition is to see, are they doing little, little interesting things uh, that we should also be doing? Um, uh, that's, I think, where our eyes are. You know, I, I just look at so many brands that I think they're killing it on social 
And that's the kind of inspiration that I draw. I look at some of the more established brands to see, you know, structurally look at the packaging, look at the way they have segmented their messaging at the back of the pack. And, you know, these guys have truly gotten it right. Um, so I pick these little, little things from a lot of these people. Um, uh, and I don't know if it's as much looking up to them as much as drawing the right uh, pieces for us to be able to, you know, improve on what we do. Um, and, and, and I think there are certain people who have done certain things very, very right. And that's just, that's just the way we, we approach it. So I think then in the end, it needs to be uh, one data to look up for inspiration, but at the same time, not let it completely, you know, waver you from yeah. that you're... Because I don't know if you will build what you want to build if you are so... Uh, if you're looking into the rearview mirror so much um, and you're trying to see who's out there and, and things like that. So we, we, we obviously, we respect them for the growth and, you know, all the crazy stuff that they're doing. Uh, we are fascinated by a lot of that. In fact, when we listen to, you know, these podcasts and things like that, we're like, oh, that is incredible the way they've done whatever they've done. And, you know, we're so small in comparison. So that's, I think, how we draw uh, our inspiration. Really. Now on the flip side of this very conversation, one is looking up to other businesses and brands in the similar space or maybe in a complementing space to, for inspiration. You know? Second, are your own customers. Even you briefly mentioned that, you know, we are as consumers get bored really quickly, especially when it comes to uh, things that are edible, for instance, like my taste buds have changed from last year to now drastically. Yeah. I Things that I did not eat, I experimented with those. Some I liked, some I thought it was like, uh, no, maybe I need another weekend. The same goes for, uh, you know, be it in terms of the snacks that I've like, you know, experimented with last year because I wanted something lighter. And in terms of lighter, I experimented way too much. Same goes for my coffee, you know, adding a little bit of flavor, even if you're making it at home, adding it you know, a little bit of flavor. So when customers come back to you with so much feedback and so many requests, right? Sometimes it's requests, sometimes it's feedback that, hey, this brand, you really need to come up with something. What's the point where you should take their feedback very seriously uh, versus this? Because now there's this whole conversation around how it's a consumer-centric market, right? But at the same time, we as consumers have endless demands. Yeah. So how does a brand really decide that, you know, okay, now it's the time to do this versus that, okay, no, we need to continue on our path and then later on maybe incorporate it on our See, again, I think um, all my answers sort of go back to, do you know at your core what you're trying to do? I think if that is, um, you know, if, if you're sunken in that story, um, that becomes a great filter for how you take uh, feedback and comments from, uh, you know, not just... Um, 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 you know, not just customers, but even, you know, people around you, your suppliers, your sort of uh, the people you work with and things like that. Um, so that is really, I think, a great filter for me when I sort of, um, uh, you know, listen to a lot of these stories. And I handle all of the, you know, the so-called ORM, the WhatsApp messages and, uh, you know, responding to emails and uh, commenting on Facebook and things like that. I still do it myself because, I want to be as close to this as possible. It's one of the things that gives me the highest amount of BP in my life, but I still do it myself. Uh, but it just helps me stay close to what the real challenges are. And for me right now, I think the biggest piece of feedback our customers are giving us, uh, giving us is about, you know, the delivery times and, uh, you know, some of the uh, order placing challenges that they have. They may have paid for it and the order didn't get uh, confirmed. Or, you know, the delivery guy said it's been delivered, but it's nowhere near their house. These challenges really bother me, right? And I am the kind of person, I don't know if it's just the advertising training or what, but if I see something, I need to fix it in the next five minutes. And unfortunately, we don't live in an ecosystem that fixes anything in five minutes. So that bothers me a lot. So I am quite, you know, these are things that I take extremely seriously. And I feel like this is such a shitty thing to happen um, uh, because, you know, um, you expect when a customer sort of messages you, I think they expect a response in minutes, if not, you know, um, you know, at least a couple of hours at least, not the next day sometimes. And I apologize every time I've crossed a seven or eight hour threshold because I feel like, you know, uh, the guy might have just wanted an answer then and there. 
So that's, I think, the operational challenges and how I take that feedback. I take that feedback way too personally, so much so that, you know, my team themselves tell me, maybe you have to chill. Maybe you shouldn't do this because you know, you take this thing way too seriously. But that really bothers me. Mm-hmm. On the product front, though, I think we have, um, um, I think we've been in a good place where we had close to, I'd say, about 85% of our customers liking what we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are uh, obviously, you know, 15%, 10, 15% of them who don't like the coffee because, you know, it didn't taste good or it was not just for them. Uh, it's just not their cup of coffee. And I just leave it at that because I respect that, you know, not everyone needs to like our coffee and we're fine with, you know, those who don't. Um, we also may have challenges with, let's say, our Dara Dunder, for instance. You know, we had a batch in between that had some sort of spotting and the, and the quality wasn't right and, you know, it wasn't finished right and things like that. And we, of course, you know, that again was um, something that we took way too seriously because we, we then sort of changed our suppliers. We kind of, you know, uh, replaced and uh, refunded in many cases. So I take a lot of these things very seriously, but when it comes to, let's say, you know, um, I didn't like the coffee, for instance, if that's the feedback that we get from someone, uh, I try and sort of understand if they have certain specifics. In most cases, we've realized that perhaps people don't know how to communicate that. So we kind of, I parked that because, you know, at the end of the day, if you came to my house and you didn't like my coffee, um, I don't know how else to sort of fix that. If I start fixing that to suit your palate, then I'm going away from my core. And that's not what I want to do. So that is therefore, you know, that's how I sort of have come back to that filter on how I sort of take the take our feedback. There was a brief period in between where I was seriously considering doing, you know, 100% coffee, black coffee, and things like that. But then I said, listen, that is not who we are. That's not in my home. And that doesn't make sense. So those are off the shelf. You know? Those are off the table as conversations and stuff. So I think that's how we process it. The knowing who you are at your core, I think really, really defines how you take the feedback. Mm-hmm. So I think that is your buffer for practically everything, uh, right? From yeah. marketing strategies to how you communicate with customers, yeah. take feedback and more. Okay, uh, question, follow-up question on the same. Now, there are a lot of brands out there who want who know which industry they want to get into uh, you know they're passionate yeah. about something but then on the flip side they do they're not really able to identify the core of their business for instance it took me we've been in this business for about six years it took me a good two to three years to identify that this is my core you know this is what I am going to position myself as and there's practically nothing else, uh, no matter how big an opportunity it may seem, that I want to go for, you know, because that's that's going to be my niche. And it worked beautifully for us so far. Uh, so how do you really come up with that core, you know, for people who are just starting out? Because they're so influenced by everything. And you know, human tendency is that you look up to something and you're like, hey, if that person can do this, maybe I can too. Maybe this should also be my message. The same holds true for how brands now suddenly are going with the term sustainable, eco-friendly, even if they're not, because why X brand is doing it, I need to do it too. So how do you identify your core? I think it is, is, it's got a lot to do with knowing yourself first as a founder uh, knowing yourself as a person before you sort of decide to do whatever you do. I will never say, you know, as of this morning, in fact, one of uh, 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 some sort of store owner from Chennai, I think, reached out to us and said, you know, we have an organic, sustainable sort of store concept and things like that. And we'd like to have your coffee there. I don't know if I have a place there. Uh, because I don't know if we need some of these parameters. And I don't want to sort of lie uh, or even, you know, unknowingly say something um, and, and sort of, you know, put ourselves in any kind of trouble there, right? I think it boils down to first knowing who you are and what you're good at. There is, you know, there are founder companies that are specialists in certain things. For instance, if we were, um, you know, a family that had estates in Purg and, you know, we had a lot of, uh, you know, experience doing this for two or three generations, then I guess I wouldn't have started with any kind of story. I may have started with, I have the best cup of coffee to offer or my coffee is from a certain valley, like what Arakku does. Now, it depends on how you've started and where you're coming from. That defines, I think, a lot of what you do and how you say. 
um you know a couple of friends of mine who uh, uh, run other startups as well i think are primarily um, uh, product focused and then they they kind of you know find a story around it simply because i did not have any kind of product experience or you know manufacturing experience i only had a story to spin and therefore i'm just doing what i know what i can do uh, so for me it all started with the story and then we started identifying partners who can give us the right kind of product that we are used to right so i think it's very important knowing yourself and what you're good at and then saying you know and this whole thing can happen even um in the course of the journey right for instance you might have uh, let's even take the uh, the example of flipkart for that matter right when they sort of set up shop uh they were of course replicating the amazon model and they wanted to be a bookstore online and things like that but that's what they were they were an online bookstore to begin with it's only over the course of um uh, you know the number of years that they've been in business that they are now known as you know for whatever they stand for whatever their brand ideology is and perhaps the storytelling will come later on in their life same case i guess with uber right i guess when they started off they were just a you know a taxi that you could book on the app but today they are of course you know trying to put way less cars on the road and their sustainability story comes into play and things like that when you find the story i think is up to you but i think how you do this depends on who you are i had only the story to tell so i started there and therefore that's the core of everything that i do uh, so i think that's very important for you to figure first so it's more like knowing yourself before putting it out there because it's going to hamper all your decisions eventually Yeah 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 got it there are a lot of brands that are starting wanting to start in this particular industry now when i go on search and i look for tips or guides i come across like various articles right and all of them are giving me a bunch of steps to complete if i want to be successful online in this industry but what are those unsaid things that one needs to keep in mind when they're starting out uh, something in the consumer goods industry particularly I actually don't have some qualified enough to give any kind of advice, uh, but uh, I think see there are a few things that um, uh, that I think you should definitely uh, think about, which is, do you really believe in whatever you're doing, and uh, um, sort of take that first step only if you truly do. Um, that's I think something that's very important because very early on into that journey, um, you will be. you know you will face a a, a bit of a, a a decision that you may have to make which is you know am i doing this for the money or am i doing this because you know i know what i'm trying to sell and what is the value proposition at the end of it so i think it's very important to figure that out right in the beginning so that any decision that you make there on um, you know what you're sort of subscribing to there uh, so i think that's quite important Mm-hmm. um now the, the other one is probably a, a bit of a more practical one i guess do it only if you have um some sort of backup or some kind of support um that you can sort of fall back on and it could be a day job it could be you know any kind of um uh you know savings that you may have because the minute you get into this you need to start pumping in money in 10 different places it could be you know with your suppliers it could be with digital marketing it could be with creating content it could be just with anything and uh, you know you obviously have to be prudent there as well uh, but it's very important to have that kitty to fall back on because just in case just in case this fails um, you know you don't want to be in a terrible place um, that's i think um, something to keep in mind and therefore i come to the next point which is you know do you really have to be an expert at um in the industry that you are in and i don't know if the answer needs to be a yes anymore uh because i think if you really get into this i think you need to be um uh, skilled enough to um, sort of pick up new new things being able to sort of adapt to change um really sinking yourself into departments that may not be your primary forte right like for instance if you really have to go inspect an assembly line and uh, you know you don't know the first thing about it then i i'd say you perhaps talk to the right guys to figure that out and therefore being open to doing things that you're not comfortable doing is uh, something that you have to uh, uh, sort of be okay with because you're going to be doing that pretty much every day 
Um, the other aspect is, I think, you know, irrespective of the industry, people tend to want to, um, you know, find a co-founder and, you know, perhaps find an angel investor and things like that right in the beginning. Um, I don't know if any of these things really make a difference as much as, you know, these are things that I think VCs want you to do for their own benefit. But I think um, if you can find the right people with the right skill sets to complement what you have, uh, irrespective of their status and uh, whether they're a co-founder or not, I think you will be able to deliver uh, what you have to. And, you know, if you go back to what you really want to do and what you believe in, you will be able to deliver that with that filter in mind always. Um, and, and of course, try and bootstrap as much as possible because uh, that is when you will really know what's working and that's when you will also know what's priority. Um, you don't really need um, an investor pumping in money for you to run a lot of these experiments. We ran a lot of experiments in the thousands and now we've kind of you know elevated to the lakhs because we've applied the same logic and we know how this will uh, uh, therefore convert. And therefore, it need, you need an eye on money, you need an eye on data, you need an eye on the consumer, you need an eye on every aspect of this business so that you can make corrections literally every single day and keep it sort of along the way. And therefore, I think starting small really helps. Um, <laughs> there's also uh, something to know about, you know, when you come into, uh, uh, whether it's direct-to-consumer, or starting an online business or starting up any business in any industry, really, um, it, it's, it's very important for you to be agile and uh, super responsive to a lot of the things that you do. Unfortunately, we are a country where, you know, there are tons of people in business, but you will not find the same speed or the same seriousness that you want them to operate in. So um, it's going to be, it's going to be frustrating along the way for sure. Uh, but, you know, it, it could be anything like, you know, you're seeing a bank statement every day and there's no money in the bank or customers complaining about a lot of things or your stock not arriving on time. Um, I think you need, really need to uh, be prepared to face a lot of these challenges. I think the industry that you will get into and uh, all of that aside, the technicalities aside, these are the realities of uh, uh, that you have to face. So I think if you're ready for all of this, that's really what I would say you need to uh, sort of keep at the back of your mind before you get into anything. Mm-hmm. Those are actually some very realistic and, you know, kind of things that you can do before starting up, you know, instead of those typical lists that you find online. But following up on that question, you did mention that, you know, every business is at their own pace. Every person works at their own pace. What are a couple of mistakes that like from your experience, I know that you too are keeping a tab on a number of brands in the same industry and also not in the same industry uh, about what they're doing. And over the last one odd year, We've seen like a lot of brands go online and then really not succeed. Like they fail in about three to six to nine months on average, you know, and then they shut down shops. Um, What do you think is that one mistake, you know, from what you've seen so far? I think it is perseverance to the point that you're not being an idiot Uh, because you will face challenges. You will face problems that could be money related or market related or, you know, just customer adoption or anything for that matter. But that is very much part of this, this sort of journey. And the mistake would be to sort of pull off at a certain point, pull out at a certain point, thinking that, you know, it's not going anywhere. This is definitely a game for the long haul. And uh, you need to be willing to sort of make mistakes, learn from them, correct them, see what other people are doing, sort of implement some of the good things. Uh, don't repeat some of the mistakes that others have made and just keep persevering. I think it is, you know, every day in some form or the other, whether it's a supplier, whether it's a competitor or whether it's a customer, someone's going to keep breathing down your neck. And I think you need to have enough resilience in you to sort of stay afloat and say, you know, I will still do this, but to the point that you're not putting either yourself or your family at risk because at the end of the day, this is still a money game. And if you are bleeding, I think it's about time you kind of just looked at, you know, um, your statements in front of you and decide whether this makes sense at all. So perseverance is still the point that you know that something doesn't make sense to do further. Mm -hmm. And 
I mean, moving from that to slightly what, you know, uh, a lot of our listeners really want to listen, uh, hear about is that when I start out, you know, from your experience, business growth, I typically ask what are the five tips that you would give for marketing, but from all of mm-hmm. conversation, I actually want to ask something opposite, uh, not exactly opposite, but related to it. Five tips that you would give to the listeners for business growth. And it could be practically anything that you just spoke about, like, you know, just the previous answer and what you've been speaking about throughout the episode. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm, uh, the risk of sounding like a broken record, definitely find your story is one. Uh, irrespective of which industry you're in or, you know, whether you're online or you're offline or whatever it is, I think you need to really know what is it at your core and why you're doing something for you to be able to sustain yourself. So that's going to be really important from a, you know, from a, um, from a founder's standpoint and from therefore the decisions that you make. Um, the other aspect is also, you know, Try and get your customers to be your brand ambassadors because there's no other way you will be able to scale your business better than uh, getting your customers to sort of recommend uh, your product to their friends and their family. So if you can integrate interesting ways in which you can get them to uh, um, sort of, you know, whether it's a coupon code, even something as simple as that, or, you know, you run a, a properly structured program where you get your customers to be your advocates, uh, then I think that's something that you should really think about. Um, the other aspect is to sort of do everything yourself to some extent. Um, uh, you know, some, many of the times a, a founder has an idea and the first thing he does is rings up an agency and says, listen, I want you guys to do this. I think you need to burn your fingers a little bit yourself uh, to really know the nitty gritties of that <clears throat> that aspect. I mean, it, could, it could even be something as simple as running Facebook ads. Now, if you don't run your Facebook ads and if you don't know, uh, you know, the kind of mistakes or the kind of challenges or the kind of technical issues that can uh, sort of come up at any point in time, I don't know how you're going to be able to sort of have a conversation even with an agency when they're going to be uh, uh, throwing jargon at you and uh, saying all kinds of things. I think you need to be able to, uh, and the same thing goes for production as well, right? I mean, if I don't know what the formulation is or if I don't know uh, why my packaging is getting stained, for instance, and therefore what could happen along the way in transport, uh, I'm not going to be able to sit and, um, uh, you know, sit back and completely ignore that component and say somebody else will take care of it. I think you need to take care of every department yourself for a while before you bring in the right kind of people and definitely start doing that for sure. uh, Because as a founder, you can't possibly do everything. But I think you need to get your hands dirty in in every uh, every division possible uh, before you really bring the specialists on board. Mm-hmm. Um, the other aspect is I think something that I am terrible at which is I think you need to really put yourself out there uh, focus on your personal brand and uh, you know stand for something and uh, be, be the kind of person that people would really want to um, listen to or take advice from and things like that and therefore you know your brand will also get the visibility that you need um, I am working on it but it just doesn't come naturally to me and therefore I think I, I'm, I'm sort of terrible failure in that department but uh, I think it's very important as an entrepreneur as a founder to uh, get that visibility going from day one um, yeah I, I think top top of the stuff that comes to my mind are sort of some of these those are those are damn good actionables it's something that personally even I am working on uh, you know putting yourself out there because all this while hey, you're doing a very good job of it by the way why? Thank you. <laughs> I I started this in the last twenty eight odd days, trying to just right. stick to it by saying that I am going to put something out there of what I've learned so far. Uh, every yeah. day. I'm holding myself accountable by asking a teammate to constantly nag me every single day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you're right; it does work because when you get yourself out there, it's a different way of positioning what your company stands for. And in the end, it becomes like, you know, a marketing channel of its own. So it's just happening on its own. And all yeah. I- even when you guys uh, sort of reached out to me, mm-hmm. I didn't care too much for content kettle as much as I cared for who you were. And uh, therefore, why should I have a conversation with this person? And I think therefore, that's what most people are going to do now. Um, you know, when they, when they come across a brand, 
Um, I think the first thing they're going to say is, listen, let me let me probably dig a little deeper to see who's the one behind it. Do I subscribe to the same values as that person? Do I really want to have some sort of relationship with that person? And I think all of these factors really play at the back of your mind, right? Uh, uh, when you when you take business decisions, purchase decisions, and things like that, there is a reason why the Kingfisher brand failed because uh, the man behind it had you know uh, whatever he had, um, and these things really do play up in 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 the smaller scheme of things as well. And I, I think I, I kind of uh, definitely believe in that. Absolutely. Okay, so slowly wrapping up, but in terms of entrepreneurship, there are days when you wake up, you're like super motivated to do something and then that tougher days and i'm sure it's the same when you're running an e-commerce business because particularly there are times when something is trending and suddenly the sales will spike then there are other days or months maybe in some cases where the sales just slow down or they plateau what's the one thing that you tell yourself to keep yourself going um I don't know if I really tell myself anything uh, to keep myself going, but uh, I think the first thing that I normally do is to get to the bottom of whatever it is. So I don't know if that's just the uh, the natural way I react. Um, I don't really sort of self motivate myself in any way, but as much as you know, getting to the bottom of a problem and trying to see where where it's stuck and trying to fix that. Yeah, I mean, and uh, like you rightly said, there are great days. And then there are days where, you know, things just don't move. Um, it could be uh, for a ton of reasons, right? And I think I am the kind of person who would much rather just get to the bottom of it, understand what the problem is, find a solve and get us out of that mess uh, rather than say, you know, today's a bad day. I'd probably like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dragged myself to the computer has never happened, fortunately for me. Uh, but I think, again, it goes back to two things, right? One is, do you know your core? And do you know how to persevere? I think if you do both of that, uh, there's no need for uh, uh, for any kind of external motivation to happen. Because if you know your core, you'll try your best to kind of keep building on it every single day, no matter what. And uh, if you know how to persevere, um, these smaller challenges will not seem like big things to you. And I, I think it's something that I've always lived by. Uh, I don't think anything that we have done is great. I don't think our, uh, you know, the mistakes that we have made are great. So I look at both things in the same light and I just keep moving on. Mm-hmm. That that by itself is something that can keep you going. That instead of panicking, look into reasons and fix it. You know, because yeah, most of the times I think we act out when we panic. And that's happened with me like a gazillion number of times. But now... No, I think it's only natural. Uh, uh, and, you know, of course, I see a lot of people also sort of do that, but um, I don't know how it helps. If anything, I, th- I think it drains you out further. Um, and you'd much rather, you know, use that energy and channel it in the right direction and, you know, fix things. Mm-hmm. I-, I know it's easier said than done, but uh, uh, but I think that's, that's uh, it, it just helps, I guess, in the longer run, in the longer term. No, it truly does. Well, uh, that's all I actually had to ask of you today, Judy. And trust me, the episode was more than what I could ask for. <laughs> You've shared so many actionables, so much method to how, you know, my listeners, for instance, could actually implement their branding and their marketing, you know, because the questions I didn't even have to ask them. So I'm really glad that you could join today. So thank you. Thank you. I hope this was, uh, you know, that this was a useful and, uh, you know, I hope it helps. Uh, like I said, I don't think we've done anything great. So I hope people, <laughs> people get something good out of this. Uh, but thank you so much for the opportunity. And that's it for today's episode of Content Kettle. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast for more such tips from the real doers.